Beautifully taken note by Jess. Now he has some space. He utilized coming forward. Millennials off the shot. It's a classic from Jess. Truly magnificent strike from Ian Jess. The 28th man of the match. And this control set him up for the run of the Rangers defense. And you'll see him when he comes forward here. Spotted the space ahead. Set himself for the shot. And lashed the ball. So, for as long as we've been doing this podcast, which is five years now, question that we've been asked the most has always been when are you getting Ian Jess on? When are you getting Ian Jess on? Get Ian Jess on. Well finally we got Ian Jess on. Let's take you way back then. Let's take you way back to the to the start of your Aberdeen career. And before you arrived at Petodre you had the experience of being on S forms at uh, at Rangers. You had to go through being released there. As, as a young kid, obviously it's something that a lot of footballers go through, but it must be heartbreaking to have your heart set on being a pro footballer and be told at that age that it might not happen for you. Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, you know, at that time, I was uh, 13 and sort of sent to school bus, called to a, uh, for Rangers, and I would sort of go down in the holidays to sort of play for the boys' club there. But I actually lost my, um, my, my phone. And they actually didn't know anything about me. Um, <laughs> which was rather, uh, rather strange. And my mum actually had to phone, uh, phone the club, phone the football club to sort of see what was going on. But they, they uh, knew nothing about me. Basically, they came up. They were actually come up to the, to play in the pre-season. It was more the reserves uh, to play uh, pre-season games against title league sides. So they actually were coming up to play Devon Vale. So they invited me along to play. I sort of came on at half time. Did really well, set up three goals, um, but they had actually made a decision before the before the game that they were going to release me. So, and they released me after the game, which obviously was a huge disappointment. But that evening, um, Peter McCloy, who was the actual uh, reserve team manager at the time, actually phoned me because I'd done so well. They phoned me that evening to invite me to play a, uh, up in Inverness in the next game, and um, I basically said no. And because they had made a decision and um, I actually made my mum very proud I actually made a decision to say no you'd made the decision to let me go and um, um, I was I just basically said no that I wouldn't I wouldn't be coming up to them to play in the game yeah for a young kid that that would have taken a lot to, to say no to well somebody like Peter McCloy obviously uh, he was a former keeper at Rangers wasn't he so he would have is that the same guy yeah, I'm thinking I mean, of it was, yeah I mean, it was basically they had made the decision before the game, obviously, because actually, I did really well during the game, and which I was sort of quite surprised because I'd done so well. Yeah, it was a big, big shock, but um, I've, I've, I've got my principles, and um, I basically sort of said, well, no, you have made that decision, so um, I just basically said no to, to, to travel up to the next to in the next game. I guess it wasn't too long. It was that same summer, more or less, that you got the invite to, to join on at Petaudry, is that right? Uh, I'm not sure if uh, the, the date, I'm terrible with dates, I can't remember what I did last week, but I'm going to something on you ago. I mean, basically what happened was, I've got a friend, Grant Smith, who actually played in the Highland League from Detroit, and he actually phoned uh, George Adams, who knew about me before. Yeah. Um, he phoned George Adams to uh, tell him the situation that had uh, basically been released by Rangers. So George then uh, phoned and invited me in to... Uh, for a week's trial at Aberdeen. Basically, I came under the wing of Teddy Scott. Obviously, did well because then the rest really history. So Aberdeen then offered me an apprenticeship, and uh, which I sort of grabbed with, uh, with both hands. Um, I mean, I got a lot to thank Teddy, Teddy Scott, and George Adams for because they were the ones that actually pushed for uh, Ian Porterfield, who was the manager at the time, to actually sign me because Ian Porterfield wasn't really uh, wanting to do that, and um, they pushed pushed it through for, for me getting an apprenticeship at, at Aberdeen, which, um, which I'm thoroughly thankful for. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you about your uh, your time under Teddy Scott because I mean, it, obviously, you did have an accelerated start. You were in the first team quite quite early, but you had that a good year when you moved up through the ranks, up through the C team into the into the full reserve team quite quickly. And I mean, a lot of uh, these former players we've spoken to speak very very fondly of Teddy. Um, I, I presume you're you're exactly the same. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, Teddy was the father figure at the time, you know. He, he was the one that sort of, he looked after the first team. Uh, obviously, the kit and things like that. And, and um, obviously, with the younger, uh, the younger ones, he was he was doing everything, you know. He was, uh, you know, hands on with everything. So, um, I mean, he, he was the one that sort of everybody went to for, you know, like uh, if. If there was a problem or uh, to ask advice, then Teddy would be the one that the younger ones would actually go to. And I'm sure the first team players did as well, you know. Uh, I mean, Teddy was just, uh, he was he was just different class, you know. Got so much respect for the man and, and obviously for what he did for me was, uh, you know, I'll never be forgotten. Now, reserve football back then is a little bit different to how it is now. The games would usually be Saturday afternoon, so if the first team were away from home, say against Tibbs, the reserve team would be at home to Hibs, so it meant that they got decent crowds in at Pedodri, and certainly the age I was, I went to see quite a bit of reserve football that year, and two things stood out, yourself obviously, but a guy who was about a year younger than you, that you seemed to have a really good relationship with in the reserve team, and that went through to the senior team, uh, Scott Booth. What was it like playing with him? It seemed like uh, he, you know, you read each other's play very well. Yeah, I mean, I think we, I think we just... Uh... You know, we cut straight away. I think we just sort of uh, went off each other, you know, as in, as in well, sort of different players in my own way, you know. I mean, I sort of remember playing the youth team games and the reserve games, and we, we sort of, it was the Monday night games as well. And the, I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of the reserve league then. And it was just, I mentioned before, we had each other on the pitch. It was just, you know, I just knew what, what Scott was going to do next, and I think it was likewise for him, you know. And, there was obviously a big expectation for for us both, but it never started, we never really got that opportunity at first team level. I mean, we did play first team uh, together, but not not as a strike pair. So I suppose it's disappointing sort of looking back on that. But uh, I've got great memories of playing alongside Scott and the and the, and the youth team, and of course the first team as well. So yeah, good times. Just expand on that a little bit. I mean, did you always consider yourself a striker first and foremost? Because obviously later in your career, you tended to move back a little bit more. And Willie Miller, for example, used you more in a sort of attacking midfield role. But did you always think of yourself as a striker? I think so. I mean, I, I suppose it's just a sort of adapter. I suppose it's, it's a good thing that I could sort of play both positions, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously in the wing as well. I started out sort of first team, sort of broken uh, at right side and midfield. It was more a right wing sort of role that I had. Yeah, I, I suppose an out-and-out striker is probably not the way I would sort of be the one that sort of, sort of drop in the hole on number 10 type, yeah, yeah. type player. Um, a bit more creative and sort of linking, a, a link player more than anything else rather than an out-and-out striker. Like likes of Scott, Scott would be seen as an out-and-out striker rather than a sort of link player, you know, because he would work the channels and sort of get him behind uh, defences. Um, and that's probably the reason sort of they ended up sort of Well, let's talk about that progression through to the first team. It was the end of um, Alex Smith's first season in charge, 88-89. It was a pretty nondescript game against Motherwell at home that you made your debut. But I was looking back to some of the the old papers there, and you clearly made an impression. They were raving about you on the Monday morning. Um, Yeah, I mean, obviously, it was my first game, you know, so... Uh, looking back, and I, was, I actually played right wing. Uh, mm-hmm. I played right, right side in midfield, so it was a right wing position that I played, which I played in the uh, youth team level as well. And I actually remember it was, I was playing against Fraser Lishop, um, who was a, a good left back. I ended up sort of not making them three times, <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think I hit the bar as well. So yeah, I, I remember it fondly because everything seemed to just go off, uh, come off that day. A, a great situation to be in to actually sort of make your debut and, and play as well as I probably did, you know. So the following season is probably your breakthrough season, but you were not a regular starter by any means, and I'm wondering if uh, that had been a deliberate plan by Alex Smith, and if that had been maybe explained to you, or...? It, it, it wasn't explained. I think it was just, you know, you, you want to play every game, um, but Alex Smith had, uh, had reasons for, for, for doing what he did. I think I think it was later in life that I actually found out what he was doing. I never asked, I never queried it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't one for sort of going knocking man's door, sort of saying, why am I not playing? 
Um, I was just thankful to sort of be involved in the first team at that time in such a such an early age. So, but Alex Smith sort of found out that it was basically sort of him just taking me away from the spotlight and um, not trying to sort of turn out and sort of giving me a little taste of um, what might be. And I think he actually did it with Paul Lambert as well. Mum as well. So we did have Paul for a short period of time, but I think he did the, the same thing with Paul. Alex Smith is, is my mentor, you know, he's, uh, he's the one that's, uh, you know, gave me the opportunity to uh, be a, a professional football player, so I've got a, a lot of thanks for him as well. No, absolutely, and like with Paul Lambert, um, Alex Smith played Lambert in the 87 Cup Final, I think he was maybe 17 or 18, but come the 1989 League Cup Final, you were chosen to start in such a big game by that point you'd, you'd scored your first goal against Dundee at the start of that season but uh, when did you find out you, you were going to be starting at Hamden? What we actually used to do when we travelled to Glasgow, we used to train on the, the morning of the games, so we'd travel down the day before and then stay in the hotel and then the next morning we'd actually sort of do some light training. We used to stay, I think we would have stayed at Excel to that thing which is the Glasgow Airport Hotel. There used to be like a, a park not far, five minutes in the bus from there that we used to sort of go and train on. And I can remember sort of just getting off the bus in the morning. I'm, I'm just, I'm just delighted to be part of the squad, you know, it's a cup final. So, um, and I hadn't actually played that many first team games at that time. So when I got off the bus, I mean, initially just when I got off, um, Alex and pulled me aside and said, look, I need, I need to talk to you. You're actually going to start today. And, you know, it was obviously just, you know, the nerves start kicking in. But it was that time of no mobile phones. So, uh, I knew my mother and my family not were coming down to the game. Didn't even get in touch with them. So it was probably a bigger surprise for them than they were <laughs> in the terraces at Hamden. And all of a sudden, uh, the little boy from Portsmouth is actually starting the game. So fantastic occasion. Uh, but I mean, the game itself, I can't remember much about obviously the, the result and the goals and things like that. Yeah, but the initial sort of game itself, I can't really remember that much about it, which is a shame. But then again, sort of lifting the cup, I can remember that. <laughs> Absolutely, we can all remember that, Ian. And yeah, as I say, moving on, it wasn't a case of that was you cemented in the first team. Clearly you were in the first team squad and you were part of it, but it, it was still sporadic, I've got to say, that season. The Dons obviously made both cup finals that season. About a week before the Scottish Cup final in May, it was a sort of mixed up, changed up team that went to Parkhead and, and won 3-1 and, and you scored two goals and probably one of your first signature performances in Glasgow, it seemed to me that you really, really enjoyed the big stage. The number of goals you scored against both Rangers and Celtic are a, a testament to that. That was surprising as well, because I, I think I hadn't played that many games, and then obviously the, the game against Park, a game against Celtic at Parkhead, the, the sort of week before the cup final, so Alex Smith very wisely put out, and uh, I think he was uh, ridiculed a little bit for actually putting it out the left side. With the likes of myself, Scott Booth, Greg Watson, Graham Watson, uh, it was, uh, it was, I mean, half the team was probably youth team, you know, but for us to sort of go down and perform the way we did on that day, uh, Graham Watson scored his first goal for Aberdeen as well, so it was amazing, and it was just like, I don't know, it was just, you know, it was, uh, get that result, I don't know, psychologically it might have been a, you know, a good thing for us for the, for, for then you sort of go in the following week, weekend to sort of then win the cup, and uh, win the, win the cup final, so. But that's, that, that was the way Alex Smith worked, very, very, very shrewd man. But about that cup final, was there a sense of personal disappointment that because you'd done so well against Celtic in that game, you weren't in the 14 for the cup final? Yeah, I think so, more, more so because, yeah, more so because of what we'd actually done. Previously, you're thinking, oh, well, you know, you're going to change the team. But obviously, he was wrestling the, uh, the senior players at that time, so it would have been unfair on them uh, because they'd probably played the majority of their games leading up to the cup final, so. Of course, it's not disappointing in that way. It's not actually be starting the game, but the whole important thing is that we actually sort of went on to sort of win the thing. That's the most important thing, rather than sort of being starting games. Um, this is what you're in it for. You're in it to actually win things. So, yeah, I'm sure I was disappointed at that time, but you know, it was it was the right decision, and um, basically the result in the end actually sort of clarified that. 
it's the following season that we get the first sort of showreel moments, if you like, uh, Ian. It's obviously a season we we come very, very close to winning the league, and we'll come to that in a minute. But there were moments like that, the hat-trick at Tannadice and the, the four goals at Dunfermline. Uh, do, can you remember anything about either of those two performances or those games? Uh, I remember them both quite vividly, to be fair, because uh, of the hat-trick. I think it was my first one, my first senior hat-trick. I remember sort of linking up really well with Hans, uh, playing up front with Hans at that time, Hans uh, Hill and um, started doing quite well. And it was actually funny because, like, the first goal, the first goal, I think, was sort of put, clean, uh, put through, and um, I think it, was, it, it deflected off more a small pass, but the shot was in target. But then Jim uh, Jim McLean actually never gave me the the match ball at the end. Of the game. <laughs> he, he basically said that the first goal was a known goal, so it's a bit disappointing because I was only eighteen, nineteen at the time. So, uh, but he refused to he refused to give us the match ball. So I suppose maybe that's typical Jim McLean. So. I think so. That's penny um, pinching at best, absolutely. Uh, and that's probably why I was greedy then, sort of going on to sort of score the goals, uh, the four goals at Dunfermline. So. Uh, but I definitely got the match ball for that. Good, uh, good. But that, I mean, that looking back on that, you know, so the, the 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 four goals, you know, so um, I think it was the second goal. Uh, it was probably the favourite one, you know. Uh, so I managed to sort of turn. I think it's David Boyd, I think. Yeah, it would have been. I managed to sort of turn inside out at the, and just inside out half, and then I sort of strode forward, and then hands and made a run, <laughs> and then I just continued to run and. And uh, Hans managed to play me in and uh, I managed to sort of slide it at the back of the net. So uh, after four going the celebrations, I'm sort of trying to get back to the halfway line. I'm just, I'm, I'm breathing quite heavily and I can only remember Brian Evans putting his hand around my shoulder just saying, deep breath, son, deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I remember that quite vividly as well. So I, I find that quite funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the four goals was, was something special. So. Here's uh, a question you might find a little difficult to answer, but in terms of playing up front with different kinds of strikers, now obviously Hans Heuhaus was was a creative striker who'd move about the pitch much like yourself, fairly similar to yourself, I think. But so, then you had someone like Duncan Shearer a couple of years later, who was a, a classic penalty box striker. What what was the difference in playing with it, those kind of different types of uh, pairings? I don't know, I suppose it's different. I mean, Hans is probably a similar player to myself, you know, so I think telepathically we sort of work quite well because it's sort of in the same sort of mindset regarding games. I really enjoy playing with Duncan and Hans. I mean, Duncan is uh, you know, a striker, as you say, and I mean, Duncan's probably one of the best finishers I've ever actually been involved with and played with, so um, he just knew where the back of the net was, and that was his strength. Um, I mean, Duncan wasn't explosive, he didn't have great pace, but you knew if you could put him in the box, his movement would get that yard of space that he could actually sort of get in the end of things. So, so I really, really enjoyed playing, playing alongside them both, you know. And, and just different, I think you just have to adapt to, to who you're mm. playing alongside, yeah. you know. Fantastic players, you know, but different in their own way. So as that season went on, um, I think January we got put out of the cup by Motherwell and I think there's a sense of disappointment then that the season is going to pretty much fizzle out to an end because we're, we're quite a few points behind Rangers in the league. But we, we then go on a tremendous run in the league, uh, win after win after win. Was there a sense in the dressing room of a real momentum building at that point? Rangers were still in poor position at that time, so... We were basically just, as, as the old cliche says, taking each game, uh, each game that comes and find ourselves in that situation. I think everybody was surprised, even ourselves, to sort of be in that situation and going in the last game of the season to Ibrox starts because I just need a draw. Um, I mean, Alex Smith has came across from a, for a lot of criticism, sort of thinking that his, his tactics actually went to actually sort of draw the game, which which just wasn't the case. We basically sort of just went out there to do what we'd been doing in the previous games. We actually had a couple of half chances before Rangers actually scored. You know, if we took them half chances, you never know what actually might have happened. Uh, but the disappointing thing for me in that game was actually I sort of come off just just at half-time or just, I think, at half-time. I can remember this vividly as well because Terry Hallock I think Terry Hallock went out to do some serious damage to me in that day because I was so tight on the touchline. He's I was surrounded by players and um, I think it might have just been before half time that he sort of came over the ball. He caught me in the knee 
I just couldn't play on, and then the disappointment I had is I come off at half time at that time. So, just I mean, it's, it's the biggest disappointment in my career. You know, it was just an opportunity we had, and we just couldn't sort of make the final hurdle actually sort of win, to win the league. You know, so yeah, it's, it's disappointing to look back on that. Obviously, when you lose a game like that or lose a cup final, you've got the whole summer to think about it. It, it seemed that that game though impacted the team beyond that summer. It seemed to be that the start of the next season was was almost poisoned by it as well. Just uh, just what had happened that day. I mean, there were still some very high moments the following season. I remember the four nil win at Tynecastle when. Uh, they were going well, and again, you, you tweeted us to a fantastic goal that day. It's one where you sort of juggled it over uh, McPherson in the middle of the park and lifted it over Henry Smith. Do you remember that one? Well, I remember it now because it's been posted on Twitter and all that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a nice thing to look back and, you know, that's the thing with social media now. I mean, I've seen uh, uh, highlights and, and goals that I haven't seen or even forgot about. Um, you know, it's sort of nice to sort of see that going back. But, I mean, that's probably one of my favourite goals as well. You know, the one that was, uh, managed to flick over being McPherson's head and, and then straight forward and, and um, slide home. Um, the, the heart supporters side as well it was uh, quite fulfilling. But, yeah, I mean, these are... I mean, that's the thing, as I say, the strength of social media is a nice to sort of see these things. It's nice to see they actually had hair back in the day as well, so... <laughs> You're not the only one here. You're not the only one. Uh, can you try and put it into words, especially when you score at a ground like that, or, or you score at Ibrox, and it's like 90, 95% home fans? Can you try and put it into words, just the feeling of doing that, and the feeling of almost getting it right up to? Them? I mean, how to explain a score and a goal, but just whether, whether it be a two yard tap in or, or uh, a goal from 30 yards, you know, the feeling is exactly what they're saying. You really? Know? Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, you scored, that's it. It doesn't matter whether it's, you know, I mean, obviously, the euphoria, okay, the, the, the goal of Ibrox that everybody goes on about, you know, obviously in the situation that it was, uh, it was Ibrox as well, there's obviously a euphoria there. But, yeah, I, I think a goal in itself is just basically the same. I mean, you know yourself if you scored a good goal, but the initial, you know, celebration is exactly the same if you sort of look back at it. But I mean, the, 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 obviously the goal at Rangers is, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's just a massive, massive thing in Aberdeen history, so. Yeah, spoken, spoken like a true striker that every goal celebrated the same. Uh, fair enough. Obviously, a couple of weeks after that goal at Tynecastle, um, Alex Smith uh, lost his job. Um, and when something like that happens, does a dressing room feel culpable when that happens? Or what's the atmosphere like in a dressing room when a popular manager, by all accounts, loses his job? Uh, yeah, I think again, from a, from a, I mean, you can all sort of talk from a personal point of view, but I think. I think the way Alex Smith is, he's a football man, he's a, he's a gentleman, you know, and he he definitely didn't deserve um, to lose his job at that time. And then, obviously, I can look back in hindsight. I think a lot of Aberdeen fans look, at back, look back now and think, well, you know, maybe the club shouldn't have made that change, you know. But this is this is the cutthroat business, this uh, professional football, you know. I mean, you're basically, you are two, three games away from getting the sack as a manager, so. It was disappointing for me because it, it gave my opportunity to be, be, become, well, in the first team and become a professional footballer, so. You know, it was, it was devastating for me. And I think, I think a lot of young boys more, more so because the way that he was with it, the younger individuals, he was willing to give them an opportunity if they were, if they proved themselves good enough, so. That was a huge disappointment for, for everybody within within the dressing room, whether it be um, the youth dressing room, the reserve dressing room, or the first team dressing room at that time, you know. Is Alex somebody you've kept in touch with uh, to this day? Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I, I mean, I've been, I haven't spoke to Alex for a while, but um, I mean, now he's, he's in Australia, he's enjoying his retirement, retirement now, so I could phone him tomorrow or today, or, you know, it would just be like, a, like I'd spoke to him the day before, so. I've got the most respect for them. I think everybody at the same football line as well. The following season, Willie Miller's in charge. Um, it's it's possibly your most consistent season to date. There's yourself, there's Scott Booth, there's Mixie Patalainen, there's Duncan Shearer, and you're all scoring goals for fun. However, second half of that season, you suffer a leg break playing against Clyde Bank at Petaudry. Uh, looking back, do you think that moment had a major impact in your career? I don't think so. It might have, de- it might have actually sort of 
stopped the momentum that I had at that time. It'd be difficult to say if it was a psychological thing. I'd never used to bother me when, when I did come back. When I did come back after the leg break, psychologically I wasn't, you know, it didn't bother me. I, was, um, I mean, I wasn't a one, I wasn't a big tackler anyway, but <laughs> no. if somebody so I came in strong, it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a psychological thing that I would think about. It didn't really sort of hamper me in that way, no. So I don't, I, 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 I wouldn't think that it made any, any, any difference uh, on that side, but maybe just sort of lost my momentum a little bit in my, in my career. It had been a career to that point which had had mostly highs because the club you were playing at was going relatively well. But season 94-95, which started out under Willie Miller, and it started out basically with Willie Miller deciding to change a fair bit of the experienced heads in the dressing room. And I think it's fair to say when you first broke into the Aberdeen team, you had a side littered with guys who had been there and done it. And that must have been a great help to you at that point. Yeah, I I mean, I was... I mean, how easy is it to come in with a team of internationals, you know? I mean, you go right through the team, and it was just a team of internationals. So it was there with Fiel and Goal, Sean McKinney, uh, Alec and Willie. Uh, Willie was still playing at that time. Uh, David Robertson, uh, Jim Bett, Robert Connor, Hans Hillhouse, Charlie Nicholas. These were all international players. So for me, as a young, per- a young player, to sort of come into that, into that team, everything was so easy. You know, it just made life easier for me because you've got this experience in international players, good players, and um, it just makes life easier. So I think in Willie's situation, you know, he was, uh, I think he was offered a job at the wrong time. I think he would probably be the first to admit it. It was probably maybe too early for him. There was obviously pressure from the supporters that he, he would have to take it, and he did take it. So um, Willie wanted to do it his own way. And maybe, you know... I mean, it's a wonderful thing, but uh, maybe he sort of got rid of the experienced players too quickly because maybe he thought they were going to be dominating the, the dressing room. I'm not too sure you'd have to ask Willie about that. Yeah, I think maybe it was too early for Willie at that time. Um, and it just, it, it just didn't work out, uh, sadly. To that point, of course, you'd been used to playing under the pressure of trying to win trophies, but the closing games of season 94 95 under Roy Aiken, it was a completely different type of pressure, wasn't it? Yeah, without a doubt, yeah. Um, I mean, they didn't sort of win things. It was just like basically sort of trying to get back on track with things. Obviously, sort of Roy took over from, from Willie and just a different sort of, a different sort of manager's style a little bit, I suppose. But yeah, it was difficult for me, a big, a big lemon cup for me because it was, it was a struggle, you know. So you have to sort of try and uh, sort of get yourself back on track and, and trying to start, start winning games again. Speaking of Roy Aiken, I think it's difficult not to mention the word Stenhouse Muir. Um, is that uh, possibly the low point of your Aberdeen time? It's my worst performance in an Aberdeen shot. I played on the right side, uh, right side of midfield, and um, I just was not at it uh, for some reason. Um, the whole team wasn't, and it was embarrassing just the way that the game went and the way. We as a team performed and myself individually, you know, it was just, and I sort of looked back in that game and it was just, it was, it was my worst performance and I would have been shot. I mean, basically, so I, the ball getting rolled to me and I'm on the touchline and it going out under my feet, out for a throw in, no excuse and I just don't know the reason why. Um, and obviously it was a huge disappointment. And I think that, I think the following week they were going to beat Rangers or was it week, 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 week before? It was a week before, yeah. Yeah. Uh, before, so you know, it's just uh, yeah, something I don't really like to embark on. It's <laughs> a thinner, thinner view, uh, uh, You and me both, Ian, absolutely. Uh, but <laughs> uh, things were looking very bleak that season. But from somewhere, uh, I say from somewhere because it was still a very talented squad. There were still a lot of very good players in there. But uh, you know, once a team loses the sort of knowledge of how to win games, it seems to become very difficult to pick that up again. But the last few weeks having barely been able to string results together throughout the season, managed to pick up some wins. For me, as a fan, what stood out was the way which the support rallied behind the team. Was that something which was noticeable in the dressing uh, that the dressing room noticed and picked up on and noticeable when you were on the park? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it's, I mean you can notice that when you're on, when you're on the pitch, you know, if, if a fan are with you or against you, you know, so... I think the, the supporters I knew we were in a, we were in a, a bad situation. Um, so you need as much help as you possibly can. And obviously, 
that sort of voice does help, that positivity from the touchline obviously does does come onto the pitch. So that definitely helps a player, it helps a team in sort of situations when, when sort of things are low. That's what you're looking for, you're looking for, and I think any team's like that, for the supporters to, to get behind them, and that's basically what the Aberdeen, Aberdeen supporters did at that time. There's a key game, and it's against Dundee United at Petaudry. Um I think if we lose that day, we're down, we're relegated for the first time ever. Dundee United were obviously a point ahead of us, I think, at the time. So, you know, if we win, we go above them, we put them in deep trouble. Uh, the stakes really couldn't be any higher. What sticks out for me that day, though, is the quality of the goals, the quality of the football played to score those goals in a situation like that. I've never heard Petaudry like that the whole 90 minutes. There have been other games where Petaudry's got very noisy, very loud, but the whole day that day, there seemed to just be a, a backing and a, a oneness between the team and the support. Um, again, I know, obviously, there was a work to do after that game, but how important do you remember that game being? Well, uh, I think I think everybody sort of knew the importance, and obviously the players did, the whole club did, so... Um, basically it was just a coming together of everybody um, so as, as, as an involvement from everybody so I did, basically it did help us to get the result that we needed that day obviously we did have what to, what to do but um, a game at home you're expected to win these games so um, a big expectation it was uh, something special at that time you know uh, to get that result but obviously we still had work to do That work included uh, a two-legged playoff against Infirmland. Um when we won the second game it must have been a strange feeling in the dressing room because we hadn't won anything, but there'd been a pitch invasion, the supporters had been happy. It must have been a weird feeling in the dressing room after that game. Just Was it just a case of job done? Well, I, I actually never played. I started this uh, a knee problem, so um, obviously within the club at that time, you know, it was, uh, in, in that week it was, uh, it was obviously a, a big... There was a lot of nerves, obviously, but the boys, the boys came up trumps on the day, you know, uh, and they performed to the way they, they were expected to do. They actually get the result to, to keep us there, keep us in the league. So yeah, it was it was trying times, but we managed to sort of get over the hurdle and, sort of, and, and survive, you know. Um, but yeah, credit to, credit to the team that come together at the right time. It was fantastic. So I think the team were able to use that momentum at the end of that season and take it into the following season and um, return to winning silverware, winning the League Cup um, in 1995. Before we move on to the final, there's obviously the small matter of the semi-final, again against Rangers at Hamden. And again, there's a moment in that that has gone down in folklore, which I'm sure you get reminded about on the 25th of October every year via social media. But it's the sort of Jim Baxter-esque uh, keepy-ups at Hamden. Why? How? <laughs> why and how? Um, there's no why and how, but um, I think it, it was just basically a spur of the moment thing. We were, we were playing really, really well. Uh, obviously, 2-0 up. Um, we were about, I think, 20 minutes to go. I don't know. It just ended up the ball just rolled to me, and I just decided to, <laughs> to, to keep the ball up a couple of times. So. But after that, it was Basically, what happened was the guy that wasn't too happy, Paul Gascoigne, wasn't too happy with the situation. He said, "What do you think you're doing?" And I just said, oh, "It'd be something that you would you would do." And if if you're actually able to look at the next twenty minutes, the last twenty minutes of the game, I actually don't touch the ball. <laughs> Paul Gascoigne has got no interest whatsoever in the rest of the game. He's just interested in in me. He was basically so man marking me for 20 minutes, not even getting involved in the game. So, and then obviously we won the game, uh, but I never thought anything of it. <laughs> uh, so we were playing Rangers the following. Down at Ibrox, uh, yeah, when you scored. At Ibrox, the, 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 the goal, you know. And the game starts, the kickoff starts, and Paul Gatt's going 15 Ferguson and he says, Look, show me to me, I'm going to break his head and legs. <laughs> And I'm thinking, oh, he's not forgot. <laughs> he definitely hasn't forgotten. So uh, I'm thinking, oh my God, here we go, I'm in trouble. And then basically what happens is I then sort of collect the ball and then score the goal from 30 yards. And then I think it was just before half time and then Paul Gaskin came up and he said, uh, to the guy, he says, that's some goal. He said, you can play. And I basically said to him, I said, oh, you're not by yourself. And that was it. <laughs> I gained gathers respect and it was completely forgotten about. He wouldn't say to to cause me any damage and sort of gained gathers respect. So 
and what a hell of a player he was. <laughs> that is some story. That is some story. The final itself, winning it in 95, I mean, it, it wasn't a foregone conclusion by any means, but the semi-final seems to have been the big game. But uh, winning as a senior member of the team, did it mean maybe more than it had done in 1989 because you were sort of more involved and more integral to a team by that point? Yeah, I think so, because you can actually uh, you can enjoy it more. You can, you, you can sort of take things in, whereas when I was at 18 and cup final then, it was sort of less, you couldn't start taking it as much. It was more a blur, but this was more, uh, you could enjoy it more. I wouldn't have enjoyed it if I hadn't won the game, but we played really well that day, and obviously, I think any cup, you have to sort of normally beat the old firm to, sort of, to win a cup in Scottish in, the Sc- in Scottish football, so um, everybody was thinking, like, okay, no disrespect to Dundee, but there was a big expectation on us that we were the favourites, uh, which is normally not the case, because normally you're playing, playing Rangers or Celtic in a cup final, so there was a lot of pressure on us that day, and um, us as a team, we actually sort of rose to that pressure and performed really well on the day, and obviously sort of went on to win, to win the cup, you know, so it was a fantastic achievement, and I could enjoy it a little bit more personally, so it's fantastic. But you'd made the, the t- decision, I think, uh, come the end of that season, come the end of 1995-96, that you were that you were going to move on. But uh, uh, again, probably a measure of the, the principles we'd spoken about earlier. You'd made it very clear that you didn't want to leave the club on a Bosman ruling. You wanted to try and get a, a transfer fee for the club. And that happened when you moved to Coventry in February of 1996. Ron Atkinson was the manager, but Gordon Strachan... Uh, was at Coventry. Was that was that was he a big influence in your decision? I think it was more than more him that was pressure on Coventry to sign me rather than Ron, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sort of going back to the, the situation with the bossman thing, I said I decided it was that my principles my principles going back to my principles again, I sort of then just sort of asking me to go and I said no. And I just wanted other thing to get a fee for me, um, because it gave me my opportunity to to become a professional footballer, so um, I thought that was only right. But I think Gordon, Gordon was probably the one that was influenced more rather than Ron to sign me for Coventry. So I can remember the day I sort of left, left the third day, sort of sitting in the car, crying my eyes out like a baby. But it was just something that I needed to do. I needed to try something new. And basically the premise of it was the, the decision that I made to sort of go and try and sort of do well down there. Is there any sort of regret that you weren't quite so principled and you weren't prepared to hang about and see what options might have laid for you at the end of the season? Obviously, Italy was suggested as a frequent destination and really that seemed like a very good fit for you, that league. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I had options, but the Italy thing basically was some Doria was showing interest at that time, um, but they were only willing to, to wait for me to uh, on a Bosman ruling. But as I say, my principles that I've got, I wanted Aberdeen to sort of get a fee, so I told Aberdeen that I would let them know my decision. Because it was basically, it was still up in the air whether I was going to go or not, because I'd obviously could have signed, signed for Aberdeen again. But um, in January, I sort of then let uh, Aberdeen know that, you know, I, I wanted to sort of go and try elsewhere. So And then Coventry was the only, only actual team that sort of came out, came in with... Um, the fee that uh, Aberdeen then accepted. So, I mean, Italy, yeah. I mean, I can look back on now and I think hindsight, if, if Italy sort of came in with the money, then, you know, it might have been a perfect fit for me, the style of football, the continent, or style of football that, you know, that I sort of believe in. So, it might have been a perfect fit, but um, obviously Coventry were the ones that sort of came in with the money, so, yeah, for the transfer fee. How did you find the comparison back then? In 97, I think the English League was still pretty physical, maybe even quicker and more physical than Scotland. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, it was uh, in the headlights for me. It was basically these players were six foot, six foot two. We started to get a bit more athletic, and obviously it's changed a lot. But yeah, it was more physical then than it is now, but... You know, I can remember, I can remember sort of being in the tunnel at, um, at Highbury, which is quite narrow. You've got Martin Keown, Vieira. You know, these guys are like six foot two athletes. And here's the little five foot ten <laughs> boy for Puck Sorry. So, um, you know, it was like a big, it was a big difference. A big, I think the standard was obviously a lot better. The Scottish, the Scottish players are a bit more slight. 
a bit more uh, smaller in the, in the English Premier League. They were sort of six foot and six foot wide, you know, so the physical side of things is totally different. One thing we hadn't really spoken about to this point is your international career. Um, now, obviously, you made your debut. It was against yeah. was it against Malta or was it against Italy? I can't quite remember that you made your Italy, debut. Italy was my debut. Italy was, was your debut, yeah. For about 20 minutes against Italy, yeah. And Malta, your first goal, was that right? Uh, no, Malta. Um, I played right wing and fell three. Right, okay. Well, that's not bad. Let's just... <laughs> yeah, not bad. <laughs> <laughs> It was a time where the national team, uh, they didn't qualify for um, the World Cup in Italy uh, in 94. Imagine not qualifying for a World Cup back then. It felt one World Cup. Yeah. It, felt, it felt like the end of days back then. But um, <laughs> made it to the European Championships in 96. And you were, obviously you were heavily involved in getting there and, and um, being part of a successful national team. How, how different is that from a club dressing room? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, it's different as way because it's, uh, you know, you, I don't know how many international games you've had in a year, so, um, and you're just, you're just meeting up for that sort of two, three days, or you have to sort of basically try and make it like as normal as you possibly can and, and get that sort of team environment, you know, um, and that's obviously what the, the manager and coaching staff try to do, so that's something that um, I think every international team looks to sort of do that now. So I think we had that, like that camaraderie and all that, and most of the players sort of knew each other anyway, so... And is there one moment in your Scotland career that stands out? My Scottish... I, I should have had a lot more caps. I'll, I'll be the first to agree with that, but I only, I only started... Uh, I think it was five... I've got 18 national caps, and I only started five. Um, I scored twice and set up and assisted four or five goals. So I'm disappointed with the amount of caps that I should have got, but I think I'm, I, I maybe should have been given a bit more opportunities than I actually was given. It's a disappointing sort of looking back on that from an international point of view, yeah. So after 18 months down at Coventry, summer 1997, there's this huge excitement in Aberdeen when word breaks that the club are looking to bring you back to Pataudry. There's a tremendous amount of optimism at the start of that season. You're coming back. Um, I think there are quite a few other signings. I think big money on Brian O'Neill, Gary Smith back, I think, as well. But it didn't quite go to plan, and there's a, there's a couple of tough seasons followed as we go through Roy Aiken, Alex Muller, and Paul Hegarty in the manager's seat. Did it feel like a different club to you that you come back to? I don't think so. I think uh, Aberdeen's always sort of been that sort of family, family club. I mean, there was still a lot of people still there that, you know, had, had been there from, from years previous. So nothing had really changed in that sort of sense, you know. It's, it was just a, a struggle at that time. I don't know why or... Because uh, we had some good players at that time, but we just didn't sort of seem to click, you know, so to get the results that were needed. So it was definitely a difficult time. I mean, if I, if I look at it sort of from the field, I actually sort of did quite well personally, you know, so I yeah. a few goals. So, you know, I think it's coming back as an experienced player, you know, so I sort of got young players in that as well. So the roles were reversed a little bit on me. So basically, I just sort of try and lead by example to sort of you know, for the younger players within the, within the team, you know. Yeah, I think a lot of people would actually say that uh, that season 98-99 is probably right up there with your finest seasons, but obviously one of the mm-hmm. one of the harder ones for the club. Um, I mean, it was a case not quite single-handedly, but you, you certainly went a long way to ensuring the club's safety. Paul Hegarty, um, you seem to really enjoy playing under. He obviously got replaced by Eddie Scovedale. And is it fair to say you didn't quite see eye-to-eye with a lot of his ideas or methods? The thing is, I was sort of quite excited. I think it was one of the ones that, uh, I think, before a manager was appointed to sort of go along the continent of Australia and go for a foreign manager. So at the point, I was actually quite delighted that Ed got the job, even though it was a lot of people that sort of didn't know his reputation. But Ev, I mean, he's an absolute gentleman, you know. He's a person, you know, he's uh, such a nice man, but his philosophy and his style of play didn't really suit uh, didn't really suit, suit my style. So, but it was just, it, it was just different the way he sort of went to sort of look at things. I mean, so going back to Ev, there was one time he actually played, he used to play a 4 3 3 with two wide players and one person up front. And uh, I can remember pulling me one day, and he said, "I'm going to play you as the target man uh, up front on your own." And I'm thinking, "I'm definitely not a target man." And he's like, "Basically, you're the one 
be the only one in the team that can actually sort of control the ball and then, as you said, hook it in behind their full-backs for Robbie Winters and Al Stavron to run on to. This was at Ebb's tactics. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm beginning to see why we struggled so much here. It was, it was baffling to me, but, I mean, if you so look at it, we got to two cup finals. We obviously struggled in the league. I'm going to come down on the side of not Ebby, to be perfectly honest. As much as, <laughs> much as as much as it was an entertaining time to watch us, simply because I think the fans understood that you know we may as well have a good time here since we're not going to be competing for things. It was, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, just a, a really nice man, Ed. Yeah, and I think I think everyone who we've spoken to who's played for him has, has been the same eccentric perhaps and a, a little bit hard to get the message across sometimes some unique turns of phrase but uh, but yeah a, a very kind and nice man absolutely absolutely it was under Ebb but you left for a second time obviously the opportunity to go back down to the Premier League with Bradford was there a, again a regret of how it ended it ended on a, a sort of hint of acrimony I think there was word at the time about you worrying about the erosion of standards at Pataudry, I think that was one of the lines that came out. At that time, you know, we were sort of, it was only myself and Derek White at that time and the experienced players, and basically my contract was, was coming to an end, and uh, the club basically wanted to sit down and, and talk a new contract, and I basically said that um, once they sort of showed a, an ambition, which I thought was to sort of sign a a couple of, couple of experienced players, two or three experienced players to help the younger ones through to get that sort of blend. And basically, I sort of came out and said that, and I would give them, I would then sit down. But uh, obviously, I never knew at that time that the, the club were in a position to do that financially. So if I'd been told that, then I would have maybe understood it. But I then sort of made the decision to then to then leave. And it was, it was hard at that time because I wanted the club to sort of do well. But obviously... My career was, was something that I had to think about as well. So it was, it was disappointing the way that things were done because I was made out to sort of look the, to the, the bad one at that time. And, um, you know, it was just a decision I had made. And it was disappointing because I'd actually sort of done an interview that it was before I went to sort of play with Rangers at Ibrox. And um, I just basically sort of told the truth, basically, that, you know, this is, this is the way that it is. I went to the show ambition and then. I can remember we'd sort of travelled down the day before the before the game at Ibrox, and I think it was a night game, but we travelled down and I'd got up for breakfast in the morning of the game and 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 Drew was Drew was there, Drew Jardy, which is quite strange because Drew normally and then Ebb Garden Gardner Smith at that time sort of came and asked me to come and speak to the manager. So I can remember sort of sitting in the restaurant with the uh, Ebb and Gardner and basically being told that um, a car had been put down that I would have to go back up the road so that I wouldn't have been involved that night so there's a car just drove down you can take the car back up the road so I basically told them that no I wouldn't I, would, I wouldn't start staying support of the team which I then went I with the team and actually sat in support of the team as, as a professional would do so and then that was basically that was the last time I played for the club the, the weekend before so um, so it was, it was a bit disappointing, but you know you can look back on things now, and I understand now the situation the club were in financially um, at that time that it wasn't feasible for them actually sort of bringing the experienced players that I was talking, I was expecting. Um, but the disappointing thing is that Ebb had actually said exactly the same thing in the papers regarding the experienced players, but I was the one that was uh, was hung out to dry a little bit, which is which was disappointing in that part, but. And this has been history, you know, it's just, you know, it's in the past now, so... To end this on a slightly more positive note, Ian, uh, because uh, obviously that was a... It was a difficult period. Um, most of the uh, your second spell at was was not the best for the club, but that the ending in particular was, was not handled, I think, with the club by any great uh, decorum. I can't think of anybody for people under the age... For people who probably just missed out on the real vintage era of the club, I think you are the the, the one 
person who they always refer to, everybody always cites as a favourite player or somebody they just love watching. Now, obviously, it's much easier on social media, but are you aware of the esteem in which you're held? Now I do. Obviously, with social media, just the overall reception I got from uh, being inducted in the Hall of Fame, you know, that for me is, you know, it's just one of the pinnacles in my career, you know, to sort of be inducted into a, a Hall of Fame with the, 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 players that have, the, the players that are involved in it. But I think on, that, on, on the evening of the Hall of Fame, I'd never recognised really how much the supporters, you know, and the esteem that they held me in. Now I re- recognise that, and it makes me really proud to sort of be recognised in that way. It's just a fantastic achievement for me, and sort of makes my family really proud to sort of see that. It was funny because the, the Hall of Fame that my brother was actually working at the time, and then my, uh, my nephew came to the actual Hall of Fame dinner, and he'd never seen me play. Obviously, seen me on video on YouTube, so and he'd never actually seen me play like live. I think with the reception that I got that evening, he didn't recognise how held I was uh, within this, uh, the supporters of uh, Aberdeen Football Club. So I think he was sitting just gobsmacked by that. And uh, that, was, uh, that was a great moment for me to sort of have him, have him see that, you know. Well, I'm really happy you had that moment, Ian, and you, you were able to, to sort of feel that um, love. And I, obviously, yeah, you get that uh, probably on a daily basis, let's be honest, on social media these days. Um, again, just you being on Twitter made a lot of people very happy. I know that. So uh, thank you very much for sharing tales of your career with us here. It's been a real pleasure. Um, I, again, just like I, I say with... Um, the fact that people under 35 have you as a favourite player, I can't think of anybody else who, <laughs> who, I can't think of anybody else who we've had more requests to have on this show than you, and that's basically every day for the past five years. So, so it's uh, great to finally nail you down and, and speak to you. So, yeah, thank well, you. hopefully, hopefully they, they can enjoy it. Absolutely, I'm sure they will. I've enjoyed doing that. I've, I've forgot about things. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. Once again, Ian, thank you very much. You're welcome. There you go. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, If you enjoyed it basically half as much as I did by getting to speak to Ian, then you'll definitely enjoy it. Um, Our thanks to him. Uh, What an absolute joy it was to to finally get to hear his stories about his time at Pataudry. And our thanks as well to our helper in this case, uh, Richard Gordon, because it was uh, Richard who actually corralled Ian on the night of the uh, Hall of Fame dinner and um, asked him to to come on the podcast for us. It helps to have these friends in, maybe not quite high, but uh, sort of medium places. So I hope you very much enjoyed this first special podcast raising funds for Aberdeen for all. Until the next one, come on you Reds. <laughs>